0: One commentator says this is the most dangerous time in history. We'll talk about it.
1: Jesus told us we should know the signs of the times and when we look at what is happening right now in the news what we look at, at when we look at what is happening right now in Israel these are all part of the labor pains leading up to the ultimate return of Jesus and so the church needs to be aware as we look at what is happening, and our hearts should be stirred. We should always be living in, in the expectation of the imminent return of
0: Jesus. Welcome to Understanding the Times Radio with Jan Markell, Radio for The Remnant, brought to you by Olive Tree Ministries. Today, Jan spends the hour with Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Virginia. The Bible asks and answers what kind of people we should be as we see a disturbing world riddled with wars and rumors of war and instability on every front. Here is today's programming.
1: God's given us the handbook for life, and part of what he's given us in his word is a roadmap to understand not only how we can have salvation through Jesus, but he gives us the whole background about Israel and the Jewish people. And so, you know, as Christians, um, we have the advantage of knowing what is going to happen. And um, the importance of keeping our eye on Israel is because God is stirring things and all of this is happening according to his word. Nothing should surprise us because nothing surprises God. And, um, And so the church needs to keep its eye on Israel because so much will play out in terms of end time events. And you know, I, the, the danger of the church has been that we can read every little nuance of what is happening in the news and think, oh, this is the end, this is the end. I mean, you know, in the 1930s, Christians thought that, too, when they looked at Hitler thinking he's the Antichrist, uh, Mussolini, you know, and was the false prophet. And as panzer tanks were lining up against, you know, churches in Europe, they were thinking, this is the end, this is the end times. Now, of course, Hitler came in the spirit of Antichrist, small a— but turns out he's not Antichrist, capital A. So that's still to come. But there's a there's a little bit of a danger for us always reading everything could be this could be that. However, Jesus told us we should know the signs of the times. And when we look at what is happening right now in the news, what we look at, at when we look at what is happening right now in Israel, these are all. Part of the labor pains leading up to the ultimate return of Jesus. And so the church needs to be aware as we look at what is happening and our heart should be stirred. We should always be living in, in the expectation of the imminent return of Jesus. And so when people see stuff stirring in Israel as Christians, it should remind us, get ready, because we don't know at what point that trumpet call could sound. You know, the rapture of the church could happen at any time. There's still a lot of prophecy that still has to happen in scripture in general, but there's no prophecy that still needs to happen before the rapture of the church and the sound of that trumpet. So we should always be ready for his return. And these kind of things happening in the news right now, just good reminders to us. Be ready, church.
2: And welcome to the program. So glad you can join me for the hour. And we are well into the new year, and it promises to be one of turmoil, conflict, war, meltdowns of various kinds we've got hot wars in various places ukraine middle east all over africa rumors of war between china and taiwan 2023 wound down with a game changer in the middle east israel attacked by her neighbors causing world instability and one christian leader says and i'm quoting him and i may play the soundbite later in the program that we are in the most dangerous time in history think about that for just a minute the most dangerous time in history. Now we watch a two-faced American administration both prop up Iran with billions of dollars and then declare war against her at the same time. And I maintain you cannot make up some of these things and you would think we might be in those predicted last days of the Bible. My guest for the hour is Pastor Gary Hamrick and you heard him in that opening clip and he concluded it by saying that If we aren't living in the expectation of the return of Jesus, we won't stand a chance of leading a balanced or a hopeful, positive life. Gary Hamrick is senior pastor of Cornerstone Chapel, Leesburg, Virginia. Cornerstone is a part of the Calvary Chapel stream. He has been there for many, many years, I believe over 30. The Cornerstone Connection plays on over 70 radio stations each weekday. Cornerstone's online campus reaches thousands of people across the country and around the globe and by the way i access many of his messages online he's pastoring in the shadow of the nation's capital it allows him opportunities to meet and pray with government officials cabinet secretaries, supreme court justices members of congress and he also is on the board of directors of the museum of the bible Gary hamrick welcome to the program
1: thank you jan it's good to be with you
2: i just want to quiz you a little bit about the church And you've been a pastor a number of years and you have a church that people are gravitating to it more and more because of some outstanding particularly online and on radio that you're doing when we look at the church first of all we see there are many churches that are absolutely functioning very very well they're healthy and they're prosperous spiritually others we see compromise others we see they won't take a stand others for instance they don't want to get very involved in politics or they don't want to address current issues or end times And people are leaving their church of many years due to a lot of these things and a whole lot more. Give me your thoughts on this, and I have a question to follow up.
1: You're absolutely right. It's a tragic commentary on the state of the church these days. But Jan, I think when we look at the last couple of years, there was kind of a perfect storm with COVID and the whole woke agenda that all came together at the same time. And our world became, especially the United States, became in such turmoil that it caused people to have to make a decision— Really, what do they believe? What do they not believe? What do they embrace? What do they not embrace? So, for our church, we only stayed closed for a couple of weeks during COVID. We defied the governor's orders and they wrote us up four times from the health department, but we didn't have the kind of fines like other churches, like my friend Mike McClure in San Jose has had to go through. But, nevertheless, when people saw that we were open, people started coming into our church. And when they started hearing, We're preaching the truth, and it is going to confront the woke agenda of our culture. What I found, Jan, was that people were actually drawn to this. Like, the refreshment of the truth was so intriguing to people who had maybe either been on the fence or not been Christians at all. Martin Luther once said, if you preach the gospel in all aspects, with the exception of the issues which deal specifically with your time, you are not preaching the gospel at all. And sometimes I hear pastors say, well, we're just going to preach the gospel. And I get the gospel is central. The good news of Jesus Christ is central to all that we do. But to ignore all the social issues and everything that is awry in our culture right now is negligent as pastors. So I saw a hunger and a thirst for people who were coming out of this COVID slash woke time, hungry for the truth. Somebody just tell me what's right and wrong. And of course, when we're looking into scripture, that's the lens by which we can evaluate everything in our world. I just found people starting to be encouraged by, hey, there's a place where we can hear the truth and learn the truth and live the truth. But it's sad that many churches are not doing that.
2: How would you advise my audience, for instance, to approach the leadership of a church? And let's just take a couple of examples, perhaps about the issue of getting involved politically or in my own world, in my own idea of things that are so important but overlooked, dealing, again, current events slash end times slash eschatology, things to come, et cetera, and they won't touch this. There's a whole lot of reasons why, but how should they approach their leadership? We want to do it in love, in other words.
1: Yeah, we want to do it in love, but I said, I think it was to Sissy Graham Lynch, if truth is absent in the pulpits, then the pews are going to be asleep, and so people are not going to be engaged because it starts with the pulpits, Mm -hmm. and if pastors are not doing their job to proclaim the truth, the whole counsel of God, all of it, and as it applies to our day, then the congregation members If they're aware of the lack of truth that's not being taught from the pulpit, they need to have a meeting with their pastor. And they can do it in love by saying, look at the evidence we have in Scripture. Every prophet of the Old Testament confronted kings Mm -hmm. of the day. That's not being political. That's taking the truth of God's Word into every aspect of life. And how much more important can it be than to speak truth to power? And so all the prophets of the Old Testament did that. Of course, John the Baptist, even in the New Testament, he gets his head cut off for it, but he approaches Herod about his own sin. He confronts the culture, starting with the leadership. So I think it's important to say to pastors, hey, look, there's a biblical precedence where prophets spoke to kings. It's okay to say things that might sound political. It's not really political, it's biblical. I get so frustrated when people say, why are you getting political? I'm teaching out of the same book I've taught for the last 30 years. It just is now that the culture has veered so far left, when you start talking about things like godly marriage, you start talking about things like God's design of two biological sexes, you start talking about the life issue, and people suddenly say, you're political. No, I'm just being biblical by saying these things. And members of churches need to just gently confront their pastors and say, it's okay to preach biblical truth, say the things that need to be said, because people need to hear it. We have to be watchmen on the wall who are sounding the alarm and telling people what is right what is wrong according to scripture. And it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, the church is the conscience of the state. He stood up to Nazi Germany. That's not being political. That is taking a stand for truth in his day. It was costly. They executed Bonhoeffer in 1945 at the age of 39, but he still understood there is a mandate and a calling on spiritual leaders and pastors to speak the truth. And I tell people, do what you can in your churches, but if it doesn't move the needle, You just need to leave.
2: I am looking at an article here in Harbinger's Daily, warning from pastors, the whole world is running towards a cliff. Don't be silent. The editor is quoting you here, and she writes, Pastor Gary Hamrick referenced C.S. Lewis' quote, which stated, when the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. She writes, Hamrick argued that many of the ideas the world is promoting are equivalent to running towards a cliff. And there are many pastors who are choosing not to address these matters. And then she says, he added that they are saying, we just don't want to get too political, as if it's too political for the church to address the social evils of our day. And then she winds down this column about you. She says, we are now in Babylon, Hamrick said. Will we be conformed to Babylon or will we transform Babylon? Christians are not leaving their lane by addressing political matters. He argued, but as he emphasized, it is those in opposition to the truth that are fighting to hijack the narrative on social and moral issues. For Hamrick, if you refrain in fear of being too political, then you're not living up to your calling. I think we may have said enough about that, Pastor Geary. but I appreciate your stand on that. And I'm responding here because I get so many emails from folks who want to hear what we're talking about. It's very, very scarce in the pulpit. I'm just moving on in the interest of time because right now the world is lacking a leader. They're longing for a leader, and the intensified longing for a world leader, its American leadership is so weak, particularly the executive branch. You are able to function so effectively there in the Washington, D.C. area. And folks, again, you can learn more about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstonechapel.net. What are you hearing from some of those that you are conversing with who are in our nation's capital, and I mean some of the leaders that you may be talking to about the tide of our times, and particularly the lack of leadership in the world and in Washington.
1: I tongue in cheek refer to the Washington DC metropolitan area where the Lord has called me to pastor as the land of politics. Politics from two Greek words, poly meaning many and ticks meaning bloodsuckers. It is a fierce area in Washington But let me tell you, the Lord is doing some wonderful things in the midst of it. Example, even our own governor, Governor Youngkin, got elected a couple of years ago. He had me pray the night that he was elected, and we're seeing some godly people rise to the surface in leadership, in politics, in our nation's capital, Speaker Mike Johnson. He's a man who is seeking the Lord and loves the Lord, and yet he's trying to face all the challenges of that bipartisan coalition and leading in a very divided Congress, the smallest majority being held right now in history. So there are some men and women in Congress who love the Lord, but unfortunately, Washington tends to eat people alive. And by that, I mean, they might have strong Christian convictions, people who are in politics who love the Lord, but the pressure of people's expectations and what the latest poll says That's the unfortunate part, how people can betray their own faith at times because they're not living up to their own personal convictions because they're so swayed by the powerful, the lobbyists and the polls and everything else. So we need to pray for our leaders because the ones who love the Lord, who are serving the Lord in politics, definitely need our prayers because they're serving in very difficult
2: times. Amen. I have a quote in front of me by my friend, yours too, I'm quite sure, Pastor Jack Hibbs, and he'll be my radio guest, folks, probably in a couple of weeks here. He states this, and I want your response, Gary Hamrick. He says, I'm sorry to tell you, the powers that are pulling the strings to this country are literally bringing us to civil war. He goes on to say, it's the first time since 1861 where we're looking at soldiers, possibly shooting at soldiers on the same team. And he says, young people, you may be watching some history unfold that you didn't plan on experiencing. And then he concludes by making remarks, praying for the United States. Our nation is actually falling apart, and we're watching it happen. Give me your thoughts on this. Now, I think that the Biden administration is kind of rethinking their thoughts on the border situation, and this hour is not about immigration because that's just a complicated issue, but your thoughts on what Jack has just said here that we could be heading towards. I guess he's saying the intensity of passion that was experienced well over 100 years ago.
1: I think what he's referring to also is the fact that Governor Abbott, rightly so, is calling out National Guard on the border to protect Texas, and it's defying the federal government's approach to the border. So could it end up being that you have National Guardsmen who are shooting against each other? Could this be a civil war? I don't know. It is a mystery to me how a few million people can just freely come across the border and yet the Biden administration says our southern border is secure. There's no rationality even behind being able to say such a thing. If they're turning the corner a little bit, call me suspicious about things because I'm in the shadow of the nation's capital, but it could be because we're approaching an election. And so is he posturing himself to try to sound more stern about the southern border for political reasons? I don't know. But we have a crisis. And what Jack writes there is true. When you start to see a state like Texas having to take a different approach to protecting their southern border because the federal government got the Supreme Court to say that the federal government can take down the barbed wire, it's troubling. And we're seeing state versus federal coming to a head here. And other states, I know our state, Virginia, and about 20 other governors are saying that they're going to send their National Guard down there to help Texas as well. So it's a very troubling time in which we're living. Jack's right about, could it be heading towards a civil war? I hope not.
2: You're listening to Understanding the Times Radio. I'm Jan Markell. Kell. have on the line, from the East Coast, Pastor Gary Hamrick, Senior Pastor of Cornerstone Chapel, Leesburg, Virginia, part of the Calvary Chapel stream of churches. You can find him, Cornerstone Connection, plays on over 70 radio stations each weekday. By the way, a good place to be in touch with him is cornerstonechapel.net. I'm moving just a little bit different direction, Pastor Geary. I heard your message online, and I'm quite sure it was titled, The Trancing of America. But here's what stood out to me. And I think rather than me trying to explain it, I want to play a three-minute clip of you giving part of that message. Because here, you are addressing the nuttiness of corporate America, the CEI score, and why corporate America is willing to assume these short-term losses because they're going to get very long-term gain. I think we are tired of DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, CEI, the whole nine yards of all these politically correct things we're supposed to be in line with.
1: You might wonder in all of the madness, after Bud Light lost billions of dollars with its campaign ad featuring Dylan Mulvaney, a biological mail-in address, you might be wondering, why are other companies willing to follow suit and suffer financially for it? Example, headline this week, Target, Target losses swell to $12.4 billion shares at lowest since 2020. Like, why are they doing this? Why, why are they following this terrible lead of Bud Light? Okay, I'm going to submit to you two reasons, all right? Here's the first one. Because they are willing to suffer short-term financial losses for long-term cultural gains. There is an evil agenda. And corporate America is willing to suffer a little bit financially in order to advance this evil agenda. Like, this isn't conspiracy stuff. You need, you need to understand this is the reality of what is happening. It is an intentional agenda. But let me tell you a second reason Why it is likely that these companies are willing to suffer financial loss. Number two is because they are more interested in a high CEI score than customer satisfaction. Now, I'm going to walk to the back to illustrate this. What in the world does this mean? So uh, here's a little chart I put together because you can always follow the money and find out what's behind what. Okay? So let's follow the money. CEI stands for Corporate Equality Index. It's a rating system for how diverse and inclusive a company is and how well it supports the Alphabet Plus slash woke agenda. Okay? So there's a score that these companies want to get. Now, in the case of Target, for example, Target's largest stockholders are Vanguard, State Street, and BlackRock. These corporations support the CEI. Now, they're, they're bankrolling. They're behind financially, okay? So, understand, BlackRock, BlackRock is the world's largest asset holder, okay? They're an investment management company. They hold the largest assets of any organization in the world. You know how much? $8.5 trillion. That's how much. So, the CEO of Target wants to please the shareholders, Or else he's out of a job because he gets a low CEI score. And thus, you follow the money further. The CEI scoring system was set up by the Human Rights Campaign. The HRC spent millions lobbying Congress. We're going to try to get our agenda through the legislative branch because we want this perpetrated upon the American culture. So they're spending millions trying to advance all of this And follow it further, the human rights campaign is owned by the Open Society Foundation. The OSF is funded by George Soros. You can Google all this. It's out there. So let me just explain to you. This is why Target really doesn't care if you boycott them. Because you see, they've they've got BlackRock, they've got George Soros, they've got deep pockets behind them. And they're willing to suffer a little financially in order to advance the agenda. The bottom line is, sorry to tell you, they don't really care. There's, there's trillions of dollars behind them, and they want to advance this agenda so badly. They don't really care if there's some short-term losses.
2: Pastor Gary Hamrick, what is the average listener supposed to do in light of what you have outlined here, that corporate America does not care? We have to do our business somewhere with somebody, and we'd like to do it with righteous people. That's not always possible.
1: You're right. It's not always possible. And I told people in the rest of that sermon, part of what you did not play, that it's up to their sanctified conscience as far as should they boycott certain companies or not? It might come to the point where, where can you buy anymore if you're going to boycott every organization? Another mutual friend of ours, Michelle Bachman, she once said to me, the church ought to be setting up parallel banks and hospitals and grocery stores because there could come a time when we're not only going to be canceled, but our own conscience, we won't be able to buy in certain places. So that's up to an individual. I haven't been back to Target since I preached that message, Mm. but people, can they still go there? That's up to their own conscience. All I wanted to make people aware of was the fact that there's actually an evil agenda behind what we're seeing unfolding in corporate America. Because when you see how transgenderism has been embraced Same-sex relationships has been embraced. It's showcased on advertising. Corporate America doesn't seem to be bashful about it. Ford Motor Company ran a pickup truck ad and painted in the rainbow. They did it intentionally, and they're all trying to advance an agenda. That's why in that clip I said, look, this is not conspiracy. When people think I might be saying this is all something that's going on, but it sounds conspiratorial. It's not. This is factual, and there's a lot of money behind all of this because people who don't know the Lord and they're evil, they're advancing an evil agenda. They want you to think. They're trying to normalize and mainstream all of this perverse lifestyle and behavior and get you and your kids to accept it as normal. And my point was, don't ever accept it as normal. The Bible defines what's right and wrong, what's true and false. We're living in the days of Isaiah chapter 5, where light is substituted for darkness, darkness for light, sweet for bitter, bitter for sweet, truth for lies. And so, we should not be duped by this. There is an agenda out there, and then people should decide, do I want to buy here or not? Do I want to send my money to this place or not? Just be aware of it, and then follow your own sanctified conscience yeah. about it.
2: Folks, I was just sent today, Dr. Ron Rhodes' newest book, The Bible Prophecy Under Siege, Responding Biblically to confusion about the end times. This will be in my online story. You have to give it at least a week yet, maybe even a little bit more than that to find it there. But I want to talk to Pastor Gary Hamrick about that in part two of my programming. My goodness, I can attest to the fact that people are bashing this particular topic. Even people who once believed it now are leaving it and calling some of us all sorts of names who believe that the King is coming, perhaps even today. Quick heads up here, partly because Those watching the video version of this program do not get a midpoint promo. So those on my radio stations, please bear with me. You're going to hear this and then you'll hear it from our announcer in a moment. But we're looking forward to our Winter Understanding the Times one night prophecy event Thursday, February 22nd, just outside of Minneapolis. And our guest will be Mondo Gonzalez from Prophecy Watchers. A time is 7 p.m. Central Time and you can attend or live stream at no cost. If you want to come in person, it's Revive Church, Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, a suburb of Minneapolis. Doors open 6 p.m. and you can live stream the event, MarkHenryMinistries.com, MarkHenryMinistries.com, starting 7 p.m. Central Time, Central Time. Mondo Gonzalez is one of the radio and TV hosts of Prophecy Watchers, and he's author of the fascinating book, The Red Heifer Ritual, The Last Piece of the Third Temple Puzzle. We'll have some discussion about world events. I am co-host with Pastor Mark Henry. Again, that's Thursday, February 22nd, 7 p.m. Central, Understanding the Times Winter Event. Come on out to Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. No charge, plenty of seating, or catch us online either live, markhenryministries.com. We post it to YouTube. We post it to Rumble. We post it to my website. I'm going to take a midpoint break, but when I come back, there's i got another segment where I want to point at some piercing questions to Pastor Gary Hamrick Again, he's senior pastor at Cornerstone Chapel, Leesburg, Virginia. Learn more at cornerstonechapel.net. Don't go away. I'm back in just a few minutes.
3: The Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists made their annual announcement about what time it is on the metaphorical uh, doomsday clock. Uh, the, the, the clock is set right now at 90 seconds to midnight, the closest the clock has been to midnight in its history. And the midnight on this, this clock is the moment that symbolizes doomsday or, or global annihilation, the end of the world um, as we know it. Uh, th- this clock, what it, what it does, it's again, it's just a symbol, but it it's used by this group to assess existential threats to humanity. I mean, it measures our proximity to a global catastrophe. So I want to talk about why they said it at 90 seconds to, to midnight and, and, and what the ramifications are of that and, and what the biblical implications are of that as well. Well, again, on Tuesday, on January 23rd of 2024, the bulletin kind of stood pat. Uh, they kept the clock at 90 seconds to midnight, but again, as close as it's ever been. Now, they explained their actions, and uh, the Doomsday Clock statement, here's one of the statements they made, says this. Ominous trends continue to point the world toward global catastrophe. The war in Ukraine and the widespread and growing reliance on nuclear weapons increase the risk of nuclear escalation. China, Russia, and the United States are all spending huge sums to expand or modernize their nuclear arsenals, adding to the ever-present danger of nuclear war through mistake or miscalculation. In 2023, Earth experienced its hottest year on record. Massive floods, wildfires, and other climate-related disasters affected millions of people around the world. Meanwhile, rapid and worrisome developments in the life sciences and other disruptive technologies accelerated while governments made only feeble attempts to uh, control or to restrain them. So they give a lot of explanation kind of the, the, to undergird and kind of support the decision they make. Here's a, a, another statement they made. Our decision should not be taken as a sign that the international security situation has eased. So they don't want people to think, well, just because we left it the same doesn't mean we think that, that, that things are rosy. Because after all, it's the closest to midnight it's ever been. Instead, leaders and citizens around the world should take this this statement as a stark warning and respond urgently, as if today were the most dangerous moment in modern history because it may well be.
2: Well, that's an ominous word from Dr. Mark Hitchcock, and I certainly agree with him. And I got a very interesting email. Let me read a paragraph from it. it. Kind of goes along with what Dr. Hitchcock was talking about, the lateness of the hour. And as Pastor Gary Hamrick and I We're talking in the first part of the program about some of the church issues and some of the issues that the church doesn't really want to deal with. You name it politics, end time issues. This gal, her name is Renee, won't give her last name, says this. Last year, my pastor did a teaching series on the book of Matthew, and I was front and center at church to see how he was going to handle chapter 24. Surely he would have to finally say something about our perilous times. He started out by putting a message on the big screen of warning, end-time Bible prophecy conferences, don't go to them. They only cause fear and confusion. He then completed his teaching over Matthew 24, giving a very safe, watered-down, ear-tickling explanation of each verse. His closing comment was exactly as you wrote, Jan. He said, some people think we are having events that suggest we are very close to the end, but I'm telling you, there's nothing new here. There's nothing new to see. Anything going on in the world today has always been going on. Well, that is from Renee, and that's expressing a frustration I hear many, many times a week, and we might touch on that here in some of the time that we have left. Talking for the hour with Pastor Gary Hamrick from Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Learn more at cornerstonechapel.net. And Pastor Geary, you shared with me off-air, a little background here. Andy Stanley had a conference back in, I believe, September of 2023. I actually played a clip of you challenging Andy Stanley about the conference. Give us a paragraph. Tell us what the conference was and how you called him out and his response.
1: Andy Stanley was hosting a conference at his church that was under the guise of we're gonna help parents manage their children who might come out and say that they are same-sex attracted. And the problem is that he had two specific speakers who were married to same-sex people. So I don't know how that's not a statement that it's gay-affirming if you have speakers on the docket who are in a same-sex marriage. So I did say from the pulpit that it's a gay-affirming conference. And he called me, which I give him credit for at least picking up the phone to call me. But unfortunately, he doubled down, told me that I'm misunderstanding what his desire is and who he's trying to reach. And I kept saying, well, at the end of the day, though, if you still have two guys on your speaker docket who are married to men, this is not anything except gay affirming. And just to put it this way, Jan, we ended the conversation. I don't think I'm going to get a Christmas card from him next Uh, year. sorry to hear that. It didn't go that well, but I at least applaud him for calling me. We had a conversation about a half an hour, but it didn't really resolve much other than we are very different on our approach to this issue.
2: Well, and I applaud you for being one who will call out such activity. A lot of churches, they don't want to make those waves, and they are willing to compromise. Not all. This hour, folks, is not about the church doesn't function well anywhere because plenty of them do. Sadly, some don't. Pastor Gary Hamrick, did the outpouring of hatred of God's land, and people for that matter, catch you by surprise? I mean, we knew it was boiling in the Islamic world, and we know what the tribulation says about how the world is going to react to the Jewish people and to the nation of Israel. But here in October of 2023, and then following months of the whole world engaged in Israel derangement syndrome. It totally
1: caught me off guard at first, Jan. I was actually supposed to You were going to be there. Yeah, Yeah, October the 8th, I was supposed to get on a plane, and then everything happened October the 7th. So I've been going to Israel for the last 20-plus years, and I did not at first expect this kind of anti-Semitism that has risen, especially among college campuses and universities in America. But then I thought to myself, wow, how terrible that all this anti-Semitism is rising. As soon as I thought that, I immediately realized, of course, like why should I be surprised? satan has been against the jewish people the jewish nation and god's plan of redemption through the jewish people where a messiah jesus came forth for the whole world satan has been perched against all of this from the very beginning so it shouldn't surprise any of us that he's going to incite people with this kind of hatred animosity and vitriol towards the jewish people and towards the state of israel because he's behind anti-semitism in fact i said from the pulpit after what happened October 7th, I said, anti-Semitism is Satanism. It really is because he's behind that kind of hatred. What other people group on the planet and what other nation, a nation smaller than the state of New Jersey, is under such attack in terms of not just weaponry, but words and vitriol and animosity and anti-Semitism? It's unprecedented, but it shouldn't surprise us really because Satan is behind it all.
2: But it's a run-up to the tribulation where this will be going on big time, far worse than now. It's hard to imagine far worse than now, but it will be considerably worse in the tribulation. Church won't be present during that time. But I can picture all of this happening during the time of Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week. Just not in my lifetime, please.
1: Right. Yet I do want the rapture in my lifetime. I'm ready to go. But that's only because when a person's lived long enough, they are ready for Christ to come. I remember as a kid thinking, Lord, don't return until I've lived my life. Well, I'm on the other side of that now, and I'm ready for his (laughs) imminent return.
2: Now there's so-called Christian anti-Semitism, and there's probably a dozen clips I could play that illustrate this. I happen to pick one here, very short, just a couple minutes. I'm not gonna identify the gentleman speaking because I don't want folks to learn more about him. Now, if you're watching the video version, you're obviously gonna see who this person is. I think it is an example, it's extreme for sure, He's also attacking, in this little clip, Christian Zionists. Somebody like myself, Pastor Gary, too, for that matter.
4: How much blessing has America had since 1948? Our schools, are they better now than they were in 1948? What about our families and our homes and our marriages? Are they better than they were in 1948? What about the spiritual condition of our churches? Are they better now than they were in 1948? What about our economy, our economic situations? Are they better now than they were in 1948? More robust economy, people working, thriving, prosperity, banks are solid now instead of 1948. In every area of, of discernment concerning the viable features of what makes a country stable and strong. We are worse off now than we were in 1948 when we started blessing Israel. No, God isn't blessing America for the way we're blessing Israel. God is cursing America for the way we're blessing Israel. You cannot curse. I I mean, you cannot bless an antichrist Entity and expect to have the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't, it doesn't make sense. Oh, we're going to bless an antichrist state and then Christ is going to bless us for that. These people go to school. They went to Dallas Theological Seminary, that's where they were. But I tell you this as long as the doctrine of Christian Zionism prevails, in America's evangelical churches, global death and destruction will only intensify. Mark it down. As long as the doctrine of Christian Zionism prevails in America's evangelical churches, global death and destruction will only intensify. And I, expect we will see that in 2024. This is true because Zionism is the tool of Satan. So Gary Hamrick, I guess
2: it's all our fault.
1: You know what strikes me, Jan? There are three times in the New Testament that Paul said to the church, I don't want you to be ignorant. One was in First Thessalonians 4 about Christ's second coming, particularly the rapture. One was in 1 Corinthians 12 about spiritual gifts and then the third time is romans 11 not to be ignorant about the mystery of israel what's so staggering to me is those are the three topics today that in the church people have the most ignorance about the second coming the spiritual gifts and israel and so this guy's just ignorant about the things regarding israel god's not done with israel and he made a covenant with them and they are still his covenant people but you know look nobody gets a pass we're praying for the jewish people to come to faith in yeshua and messiah But it's undeniable. Genesis 15, where God laid out the land to the people of Israel, made a covenant through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's not done with them. And Paul writes about that in Romans chapter 11. Israel has experienced a hardness in part until the full number of Gentiles come in. I mean, God in his graciousness and his patience is waiting for more and more Gentiles to come in, and the eyes of the Jewish people are being opened now and will continue to be opened Zechariah talks about how two-thirds are gonna go through the tribulation so there is a very sad commentary on disbelief among the Jewish people but then they will look on the one that they have pierced and they (laughs) will say where did you receive the marks and he said at the house of my friends like Jesus is very much being revealed even now many Jews are coming to faith in Jesus and even still to come many Jews will come to faith in Jesus but to say that somehow God is done with the Jewish people and replacement theology. The church today has replaced Israel. I mean, it's nonsense. There are so many passages still in Scripture that speak about the place that the Jewish people have in the heart of God, and he's not done with them.
2: The Bible says, again, Romans 11, that you referred to all Israel will be saved, meaning that those who do survive the tribulation, all of them will see Jesus Christ in his second coming, see him whom they pierced and turned to him instantly at that time, fulfilling the passage that says all Israel will be saved. Not going to happen before that time. And I can attest to it, even my own family, there certainly have been many who have come to faith over the years here. Gary, I'm curious to know if you're talking to some of those. Again, you are able to be in touch with a lot of movers and shakers in Washington, and you're poised there right outside of Washington in Leesburg, Virginia. I'm looking at a quote here by Caroline Glick. The quote is, the Biden administration showed its hand on Tuesday when U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken gave Israel an ultimatum to support Palestinian statehood or risk demonization by the administration. My goodness, openly talking about hostile relations that are going to ensue between Washington and Israel if she doesn't cooperate in what would be the final solution, the so-called Palestinian state but what are you hearing from those you're talking with about the pressure that the Biden administration is putting on Israel?
1: Here in Washington, the climate is, people are sensing this. It's a no-win situation. If they support Israel, then the Hamas side of the Palestinians will rise to protest. If there is a two-state solution, it will only make Israel happy. We both know, Jan, that there yeah. cannot be a two-state solution when one believes the other does not have the right to exist. So. There's just turmoil over it, but it's all this political jockeying right now in Washington because it's an election year, and people are trying to make a decision about Israel based on their own political futures, not on what is the best policy according to Scripture.
2: This is in Amir Sarfati's, one of his more recent newsletters online. He says, and I know you have featured Amir in your church, and we all appreciate that. It was an excellent presentation. He says, the mood in my country is tense. While the operation in Gaza is going exceedingly well, we know that the big war has yet to commence. The conflict with Hezbollah must come, and it will come. When it does, it will be brutal for the entire nation. And then he concludes Hezbollah is much better armed, much better financed, much better trained than Hamas. The Iron Dome and our other air defense system can only do so much against the thousands of rockets that will come racing across our northern border. I fully expect by the time it is all said and done, the skyline of Tel Aviv will look different, as will many other parts of the country. That's an ominous warning, Pastor Gary.
1: It is, but he's boots on the ground, and I've always appreciated Amir's insight, and Israel is fighting a war on really three different fronts. They have Gaza, West Bank, and they have the northern border there where Hezbollah is poised to attack, and they've been lobbying some rockets to show their strength. It is ominous, but Jan, at the end of the day, we have to continue to remember that he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep, and that the fact is, as much as I personally believe the United States should be the best ally for Israel, Israel doesn't need us. They have the Lord, and this will be a time when many people in Israel will turn to the Lord, and I asked Amir that when he was here. I said, do you see any benefit spiritually coming out of this. And he did say, indeed, that he believes that when crisis comes, people often then will cry out to the Lord, and maybe the Lord would use this as a time to draw people to himself, and in particular, to his son, Jesus.
2: Hosea 5, I believe, it's, In their affliction, they will seek me earnestly. You have to wonder if some of that's going on. Headline here, Biden administration discussing slowing some weaponry deliveries to Israel to pressure Netanyahu. Again, the Biden administration discussing using weaponry to convince the government of Netanyahu to heed longstanding U.S. calls to scale back its military assault in Gaza, according to three current U.S. officials at the direction of the White House. The Pentagon has been reviewing what weaponry Israel has requested that could be used as a leverage, said the sources. They said no decisions have been made. The sources said Israeli officials continue to ask the administration for more weapons, including aerial bombs, et cetera. And then again, goes on to say that all of this may be either withheld or cut back. And Gary, as Bill Koenig has said for 20 years, when administrations like this do these anti-Israel maneuvers, it's all of the people of America who pay a price because God judges us.
1: Unfortunately, the president is not getting great advice. I believe Secretary Blinken is Jewish. I don't know he why is. he yes. isn't. I would hope he's more forceful in the ear of the president saying, listen, we have an obligation morally and biblically to do what is right by the Jewish people. But unfortunately, yeah, when we don't stand with Israel, it does have ramifications for America.
2: Absolutely. Whether it's the economy, whether it's some incredible weather events that happen, one way or another, the country that does that is going to pay a price. And by the way, folks, you're listening to Understanding the Times Radio, Chan Markell. On the line, Pastor Gary Hamrick. You can learn more at his website, cornerstonechapel.net. And I follow him very often, messages posted to YouTube. And folks, you'll really be blessed. I know you will. For one thing, he's talking about all the things that are going on. I gave a tease here about Ron Rhodes' newest book. Quite frankly, I can't say a whole lot about it simply because it was just handed to me today. It's going to be in our store. Give it another week at least. Bible Prophecy Under Siege responding biblically to confusion about the end times. Let me read a couple of paragraphs. Ron says this. Today, Bible prophecy under siege. There are atheists, secular humanists, liberal Christian theologians, post-tribulationists, mid-trib, preterists, and many others who are launching vitriolic attacks, particularly against pre-tribulationalism. The widespread acceptance of this pre-trib view by a huge majority has brought out the critics in full force throughout the chapters of this book i give plenty of examples of the criticism of how pre-tribs and others respond biblically and he goes on to say that he gets emails from christians seeking to convert me meaning run to post-tribulationism or preterism none have succeeded it is unfortunate that some in this latter category of emails have used the word heresy in association with what I believe. To be fair, I am aware of at least some pre-tribulation people who have changed their positions, and they are being considered heretics. The charges are flying both ways, but pre-tribulationism is a larger target because it is so much more popular than the other positions. The point is, Gary Hamrick, that something that was considered, let's say 30 years ago, to be pretty traditional in the evangelical church and that is considering the king is coming perhaps today is now as the title says it's under siege by dr ron rhodes so give me your thoughts on this
1: paul spells it out in first thessalonians 5 9 for god did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our lord jesus christ he's coming again and he doesn't want us to suffer wrath you see pictures of it even jesus referred to about in the days of noah Noah's family was spared. The rest were judged in the days of Lot. Lot's family was spared. The rest were judged. God will ultimately spare the true church, followers of Jesus, because he doesn't want us to have to go through the tribulation. So we take a pre-trib view, and that's not an escapist mentality. Do I not want to go through the tribulation? Of course I don't want to go through the tribulation, but I don't believe that just because that's my desire. I believe that because I see the preponderance of Scripture talking about God rescuing the church, using the example of Noah and his family, Lot in his family, First Thessalonians 5, 9 and others. When you see the church missing in the book of Revelation, starting in chapter four, it doesn't appear until the end of the book. It escapes that tribulation period. So the pre-trib view is what keeps us mindful of his imminent return, which would motivate us to holy living, yeah. Peter talks about. Yeah. When you don't have that imminent expectation of Christ's return, Given our flesh, we're more likely to just live however we want, but if we're ready for his return, we should be living with that constant expectation, and it motivates us to holy living.
2: Pastors want to avoid the topic for a lot of reasons. It's seen as controversial. There are probably too many views. How should they pick which one is the accurate view? Many of them have not had training in seminary. A lot of them are afraid of the kooky factor. Let's face it, the Herald Camping's Edgar Wise have done terrible damage to this particular message. But as you talk to pastors, Gary Hamrick, do they tell you why they might not go in this direction?
1: It's usually what you just described. It's that sense of this is theologically splitting hairs and it's all going to pan out. I mean, that's the big joke, you know, pre-trib or or just pan-trib, it's all going to pan out. It's just the reluctance of trying to be too dogmatic about it. I just don't see it as being dogmatic. There are a lot of things in the Bible that people can have cordial debates about. But when you look at the overall preponderance of Scripture, pastors have to take a position. And when I look at the overall preponderance of Scripture, I land on the pre-trib view. And so I'm waiting for his return. And after he comes again, the thousand-year reign, The people who are the amillennialists think that we're living in it now, like we're living in a time when Satan is bound, really. So people have to be true to Scripture and teach it as they best see that it explains itself. Eschatology can be a challenge, but pastors can't avoid it because the people need to hear what the Bible says.
2: Folks, you're going to hear more about this book in the weeks to come here. Again, it'll be in my online store, olivetreeviews.org. Give it possibly another week. Ron Rhodes' latest book, Bible Prophecy Under Siege. But would you agree, Gary, with the comment by Dr. Mark Hitchcock about 20 minutes ago or so that we may be in the most dangerous time in history?
1: I would think so, Jan, and that should motivate us even more for making sure we're walking right with the Lord, because Mm -hmm. it's a very volatile time. We see wars and rumors of wars. We see the love of many growing cold. We see false Christs, false prophets. This is Matthew 24. And so we should be ever more ready for his return.
2: I'm gonna sum things up with a clip of you and you are answering the question here out of Second Peter. In light of what we're talking about, folks, what kind of people ought we to be?
1: Peter also writes about this, reading still in Second Peter 3, 10 to 12. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, listen to the question he asks, what kind of people ought you to be? And then he answers the question, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That's 2 Peter 3, 10 to 12. In other words, he's saying there that while we wait for the return of Christ, since we know this is going to happen and also at the end of the age, this present earth is going to be destroyed. The present heavens are going to be destroyed. God's going to do a complete new start over with a new earth, a new heaven. How should we conduct ourselves in the meantime? How should we live? And he answers his own question. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. When we are living with the joyful anticipation Of the second coming of Christ, it motivates us to holy living. When you lose sight of that, you will end up just living however you want. This world desires to own you. And while the Master is away, you're going to have to decide who you will serve. Will it be the world or will it be the Lord?
2: I'm down to a couple of minutes. You want to sum anything up here from the hour?
1: Jan, I appreciate all you do to get the word out because these are important times that we must understand. That's the name of your program. And it's been a privilege to be with you. I continue to urge Christians to stand firm in their faith. I continue to urge pastors to preach boldly and courageously from the pulpit. And let's just keep our eyes fixed above, lift up our heads and look up, because our redemption draws near. And Don't be afraid to engage the culture, is my encouragement to the church. If we're not being salt and light, if we're not flavoring our world, if we're not turning the light on in darkness, then who will? And Paul tells us in Thessalonians that we need to be the restraining force of evil in the world today, and one day the church is going to get raptured, and that restraining force is going to be absent. So in the meantime, we need to do all we can to make sure we're being true to our calling, salt and light in the world, sharing Jesus and keeping the culture engaged with the truth of Jesus Christ.
2: Thank you for all that you are doing, Pastor Gary Hamrick. Again folks, I encourage you to follow him as much as you can. You can certainly learn more at cornerstonechapel.net. You can follow his messages on YouTube. I highly recommend that you do. Again, he's got a radio program on 70 stations, Cornerstone Connection. I'm gonna go out here. I wanna reference a Bible verse. It's the verse found in Isaiah 33, verses 5 and 6. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness, and he will be the security and the stability of your times, a treasure of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is your treasure. There is security and stability nowhere else, not in peace treaties or in security fences or in a wartime truce. No government can guarantee security and stability. Rather, God will be the security and stability of your times, says Isaiah. I want to thank you for listening, folks. We'll talk to you again next week.
0: Contact us through our website, olivetreeviews.org. That's olivetreeviews.org. Call us Central Time. At 763 559 4444. That's 763 559 4444. We get our mail when you write to Olive Tree Ministries and Jan Markell, Box 1452, Maple Grove, Minnesota 55311. That's Box 1452, Maple Grove, Minnesota 55311. All gifts are tax deductible. God has you on assignment. You were born for such a time as this. Let's try to be salt and light in a darkening world. God allows all things to transpire so the predicted events can all fall into place.